Attention SLPs and OTs with existing private practices. Are you ready to level up your private practice and your life and make this your breakthrough year? If so, join us for Make More in 2024, a free training offered on Thursday, March 21st at 8 p.m. Eastern to discover how to shift from clinician to CEO. During the training, we'll talk about the importance of maximizing your income, adding revenue streams, setting up systems, and more so that you can ultimately work smarter and build a successful, sustainable, and sellable business. To sign up, just visit growyourprivatepractice.com backslash training. Don't miss the chance to learn how to effectively navigate the growth phase of the private practice journey. See you on the training. My name is Jenna Castro-Casbon. I am part of a group of private practitioners who have taken client care into our own hands. We are skilled clinicians who pride ourselves on providing high quality care to our clients and their families. We are fighting against productivity requirements, administrative red tape, and unnecessary restrictions. We started our own private practices to take control of our professional and personal lives, of our schedules, of our incomes, of our future. We work hard for our clients, but on our terms. We believe in helping others, but also helping ourselves. We are not interested in competing with each other because we hope we'll all make it. We are successful private practitioners, and these are our stories. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Private Practice Success Stories. My name is Jenna Castro-Casmon, and today you're going to hear from Farah Augustover. Farah is a speech-language pathologist and private practitioner on Long Island. In addition to her private practice, she's also a children's book author, having written the book Harmony Hears a Hoot. In this episode, she will talk about her experience in getting started with private practice, where her private practice is now and where it's going, and also her experience of publishing her own book. Farah is has a lovely personality. She's a lot of fun, and I think that you will learn a lot from her. So with no further ado, here's Farah. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and also at what point you started thinking about private practice? So I always had an interest actually in hearing loss, in oral rehab, and that started as an undergrad in college. And from that point, I just kind of soared with it. So I went to University at Buffalo, SUNY at Buffalo, for my undergrad and my graduate. I did a lot of research there. They're a very science-oriented university. So I got very into research and working in labs for professors. I think that's where, looking back, a lot of my desire to be more independent, Mm -hmm. to have control over what I was working with and how I was working with it, really sort of sparked in retrospect. And when I graduated, it meant a lot to me to try and find a clinical fellowship that had to do with oral rehab. So I ended up working at a non-for-profit clinic in the city for several years, did my CF there and then stayed on, worked primarily in pediatrics, but it was all for hearing loss and auditory processing disorders. I loved it, gave me great knowledge. I learned from absolutely the best of the best in the field. And then I said, okay, it's it's time. The commute was getting to me a little bit. It was in Manhattan and we were just, I was ready for a change. We had bought a house out on Long Island and my husband was the one who sort of said, just 
do it. Just start a private practice. And my initial reaction was, you're crazy. Nobody just starts a private practice. And he said, look, let's give it six months. And if nothing happens, maybe another six months, and then we'll call it quits and we'll move from there. So he's nuts and I trusted him. And I said, okay, let's, let's try it. I've got a specialty. I've got something that makes me a little different. Let's give it a shot. So I worked in a school while I started the private practice and that was about a year. Mm -hmm. And it was great because at least I had some type of supplemental income while I was building the practice. At the end of the year, I had to make a decision on do I cap my practice and continue at the school or do I bite the bullet and really, really, really nervously just go full throttle into private practice. And that's what I did. So that was five, six years ago now. And the private practice has been full-time ever since. Oh my goodness. That is, that's fantastic, (laughs) right? You saw an opportunity, you had a specialty Mm -hmm. and um, it sounds like you had tremendous support from your husband which is uh, so much support from husband, family, friends, yeah. everyone you can imagine. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. So they were, they were, they were encouraging you or pushing you to do it, giving you the safety net of saying, listen, we have this time. We'll see how it goes. All right. So now you have uh, kind of leaped in. We're at the point in your story where you have decided to go full time into this. And then what yeah. happened after that? So after that, I sort of started kicking into high gear, more so thinking about, do I want to be private pay? Do I want to be insurance? Um, Do I want to stick to just oral rehab or do I want to open it up a little bit? And do I want mornings or evenings or weekends and all of that stuff? And in the very beginning, I really planned the practice around what people needed. So if people were calling saying, I need a Saturday morning at 7 a.m., I was seeing people at Saturday mornings at 7 a.m. If they needed 9 p.m. on Tuesdays, so be it. I will see you at 9 p.m. on Tuesdays. And looking back, I think that was the right move because a lot of my business has come from word of mouth. Mm -hmm. But I also realize now I don't need to do that. I can, I'm lucky enough that I have enough clients that I can kind of say, you know what, I want a standard schedule. Mm -hmm. I want this day during the week. Maybe I don't want weekends. Maybe over the summer I do. And I kind of change it as time goes on. I don't necessarily rule out anything. Mm -hmm. And the insurance applying to be a participating provider took a huge chunk of my time. So that took probably a year and a half, I'd say, to get on board with all the insurance companies I participate with. Still a Which few that a fall lot. I went to your website. There was a lot of logos on there. There's a lot. There is a lot. Um, it's not the easiest part of the job, but I, one thing I sort of said when I went into this is I don't want to have to deny anyone based on what they can afford. But at the same time, I have to be realistic. I have to understand this is my job. This is my income. So that part that all of us clinicians have where we want to be the most giving person, we still have to know that we need to have dinner on the table and feed the dog. (laughs) So we need to make sure we're making an income. And I would say that took me a while to come to terms with it. Mm -hmm. If people were canceling last minute or if they weren't keeping me in touch and they weren't showing up, I didn't necessarily do anything about it for a long time. I just sort of let it slide. 
And I had to come to terms with, you know what, I need a policy. This can't keep happening because it is my time. And we had a professor for anyone that went to UB uh, at any point <laughs> within about 30 years of when I was there, we had a professor who used to always say time is money. Mm -hmm. And she was right. <laughs> mm -hmm. As much as it kind of hurts to admit that sometimes, because all we want to do is help people. That was big. And I think that was a lesson I had to learn, especially at the beginning. Yeah. So I think just after I solidified I was going to start a practice, it was a lot of the logistical things. So making sure that I had a, a DBA for Island White Speech, which I don't know if that's a New York thing or not, but uh, Massachusetts too. So probably. Okay. So DBA for anyone that doesn't know is the doing business as if you're going to have a practice that's not under your actual name. Yeah. Um, so that double checking with my county, my business is out of my home. So mm -hmm. double checking what had to go into that. What were the laws behind it? Meeting with an accountant, getting all that stuff set up. I would say that was probably the next big step after taking the plunge. Yeah. And at this point, it was still just you. Is that right? Just me. It was just okay. me for quite a while. If yeah. you don't include my husband, who's become my techie, nice. <laughs> sort of my CTO. <laughs> love it. Love it. Okay. So it was, it was just you. And then in the beginning too, were you um, still just doing oral rehab? You had your, your niche and you were... I was focusing on it. I would mm -hmm. say it was about 50%. It still is probably between 30 and 40% of what I do. Mm -hmm. And everything else was just sort of, as I was getting phone calls, I had to determine if I was comfortable or not. Yeah. And really the only thing I sort of said from the start, I don't feel comfortable doing swallowing and feeding therapy. I don't think I had enough experience with it. And being that this is out of my home, I just didn't think it was appropriate for me. Yeah. So that's really the only diagnosis to this point uh, that I didn't focus on then. I don't focus on it now. And other than that, some motoric related issues only because we do have our practice down a couple steps. So we make sure to tell people that when they call, so they understand if there's some type of stroke or something that's, you know, correlated with whatever diagnosis they're coming in with, mm -hmm. we might not be the best match. But on that note, I'm never afraid to say, hey, look, I might not be the best bet for you, but here's a list of three others that are either large clinics or private clinicians that are close to you and close to here that you might be better off with. That also took a long time to come to terms with. In the beginning, you yeah. think competition, competition. I've never really been so much like that, but I think I've been bitten a couple times because of it. Mm -hmm. So instead I've decided, if it's not my specialty, I shouldn't be seeing them. Yeah. If it's something I'm not clinically just comfortable with, I shouldn't be seeing them. And let me do a good deed by recommending them out. Well, and, you know, karma, right? Yeah. Hopefully, you know, people have experiences, then they, um, I'm, you know, other SLPs who have private practices, then they get to trust you. They say, you know, at some point they're going to be full too, or they're going to have somebody who they don't quite feel comfortable seeing. So I think it does, it, it can bite you. And I think that I'm also uh, a pretty giving, trusting person um, by nature. Um, but I think that if we, if we put that forward, um, hopefully we get that back. And yeah. we, we, um, build relationships with people who then really can become fantastic referral sources. So speaking along those lines, where are you getting most of your clients from? It's a mix. 
I'd say it's a mix between word of mouth, just from previous clients, uh, a lot of insurance. So people that will look online to see who participates in their plan, which is also something I make every new client double check before they start just because insurance could be a tricky business. So I'd rather dot all my I's and cross all my T's. And honestly, social media has been huge. Social media um, and getting to know other local businesses is really big because I notice that if I support them, they support me. I happen to be the only SLP in in a little bit of a radius also, which helps. (laughs) So any local dentists or OTs, PTs, chiropractors, even just card shop owners, I try and make sure that they know I'm around the corner. So um, local business, social media, insurance, and word of mouth would probably be the big ones. And they're all pretty even as far as what percentage I get from them. Kind of varies couple come from the schools just because I was in the school for a year and I made friends with a lot of the local SLPs. So a few of them, if a child doesn't qualify within the school district or they feel that the child is only on a 10-month IEP and they need some stuff for the summer, they might refer to me as well. Got it. Um, I want to back up for a second and talk about the social media um, stuff. Mm -hmm. That was something that you said that's big for you and I've done, I think you're my 11th-ish interview here and no one's talked about that yet. So can you tell me a little bit about how you're using social media, what platforms you're using, what kind of stuff you're posting and in general, how that's going for you? I'm a huge proponent for it because it's free and (laughs) you learn very quickly as a private practice owner that things are not free. Mm -hmm. Um, We are very creative in our nature as SLPs, but it can get very expensive very, very quickly. So I started just on Facebook. I made a business profile on Facebook, tested it out, and it was really more about posting every once in a while if something interesting was happening in the practice, sort of where it began. And then I ended up opening an Instagram account and a Twitter account. And on LinkedIn, I started talking less about myself, a little bit more about the practice. And over time, I realized people don't only want to know what I'm doing, it would be interesting if I also share what's going on in the field. So if Asha shares something, if a fellow SLP shares something, if just a random article, like they were talking about the AI stuff with Google recently Mm -hmm. making the hairdresser phone call. And if you haven't seen it, you should YouTube it. It's pretty cool. So anything that's even remotely associated with speech and language, I now just reshare it. And I try and make sure I give credit to whomever posted it first. So that kind of, I forget what the terminology is, but that cross referencing of people on social media helps a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So I was making sure that I was giving credit where it was due. And then I started noticing, oh wait, people are finding this stuff very interesting. And then I got more followers and it just kind of snowballed. So now at least once a day, I'm posting something, whether it's directly island-wide speech related if it's field related or if it's just something cute, (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, I'm trying to make sure I post something every day, especially right now with it being better hearing and speech month, every single day, there's probably multiple things that I'm posting. A lot coming from Ash's whole BHSM campaign, but Mm -hmm. other stuff just from all over the internet, from videos, uh, if my clients do something fun, then we'll try and get them on there, of which all of them have signed release forms, so make sure you do that. If you decide to use clients, make sure you have release forms, uh, of which are very specific. Mine will state social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, signed and stuck in their file. So I use it a lot. I think it's honestly one of the best things you can do as any kind of business owner, 
And it's fun. And you meet a lot of interesting people through it. It's how I got involved with the independent clinician stuff. So it's definitely, it's been huge. It's made awesome connections for me as a professional and for the business and for my clients. I've had clients that, especially as children with hearing loss, they don't necessarily always have a child in their school or in their district that also has hearing loss. So the fact that I've been able to connect people, even if it's through social media or, you know, if they're in different states or whatever it might be, I've been able to connect people and say, oh, you have a son that's 11. I have a client that's 11. They both have unilateral hearing loss. Ask the parents and all of a sudden we've got new best friends and pen pals from across the country. I love that. Social media is awesome and I highly recommend taking advantage of it. For sure. I mean, if it does a lot of things. Like one, it really is about building awareness, right? The kinds of things that you that you're posting is supposed to capture when people are scrolling Facebook Mm -hmm. or or, uh, Instagram or whatever. You want to stop them from looking at all the other stuff they're doing and pay attention to the thing that you've posted. That's all about building awareness. That has nothing to do with people searching for those services. Right. When you do these, these more like awareness based um, social media campaigns, it's all about um, drumming up awareness. So someone's like looking through Facebook and they're looking at, pictures of dogs and their mm-hmm. cousin that got married or whatever cat videos cat videos <laughs> and they may or may not realize that they or someone else has a problem maybe they have a child with hearing loss who got mm-hmm. services for a while and then hasn't and then the way back in their mind they thought you know maybe I should go back and see an SLP again yeah and then they come across a video of one of your clients and they're like, Oh wow, that's amazing. Um, yeah. that actually reminds me of my child and the, Hey, she only lives like five miles away. Yeah. Maybe I should give her a call. So those, that's who you're trying to capture with social media are people who are not actively looking for services. That's your website's job. And we can mm-hmm. talk about, about that in a second, but the whole role of social media is to build awareness and then also really importantly build credibility. Because if you are sharing these kind of articles and you're talking about them and you're bringing this stuff up, then people say like, oh, she's an authority. I should listen to her. She really knows what she's talking about. If I'm choosing between this person and this person, I'm going to go with the one who seems more credible. Yeah. And I think especially now in our field, I know a lot of people will probably agree with this, but we've always been somewhat misunderstood. Mm -hmm. And I think everyone can agree. And now that there's we've always been such a multifaceted profession, whether people realize it or not, but especially now with technology and in swallowing and feeding and hearing loss and everything you can imagine, cognitive, it's incredible. So I think you're right as far as bringing awareness to the field and what we do and how much we know about it, that we are the right professionals to see and we want to see you. We, We really do want to make sure that not only are we understood, but we're appreciated and we're used because we are a bucket of knowledge that I think isn't necessarily tapped all the time because people still assume that speech pathology is what they initially thought it was a while ago. (laughs) So I think that social media has helped that tremendously. I know I follow different people on social media that have specialties in areas that I never once myself got involved in, but things that are always interesting because it's still speech. It's still my field and what I love to do every day. So reading articles like that are just 
phenomenal seeing a couple years ago they built didn't they just build vocal folds like five or six years yeah. ago i think yeah. i mean just something like that is so fascinating to me whereas other people around might be like oh goodness but yeah. <laughs> it definitely it adds to the depth of the field and adds to the depth of who we are as professionals. So I think it's, it's key. It's key. Yeah. It really is crucial. Yeah. I totally can't agree more with that. Um, what does your private practice kind of look like now? So now we see people Monday through Friday and by we, I mean multiple people. So it's mm -hmm. myself and I'm still, when I introduce myself, I say that I'm the owner and one of the speech language pathologists. Uh, currently, I have two that also work for me as independent contractors. I've had a few over the years. Um, the most I've ever had at one point is two, mm -hmm. uh, but we are actively hiring. So <laughs> if anyone's on Long Island, New York, and you're a certified SLP, please <laughs> do contact. Give me a fair call. <laughs> <laughs> so we are expanding basically as the schedule grows and well, actually as the clientele grows and our schedule becomes more limited because we have too many clients, which I never, ever thought I would say, we currently have a waiting list and it's exciting. It's scary. Everything is always scary and exciting at the same time, yeah. but we are limited to just weekdays for now. We're not doing weekends, but again, that can change, like I said earlier. And then over the summer, we typically do kind of all day services. I think that during the school year, it tends to be more after school. So mm -hmm. I would say maybe 2.30 on. And there's definitely days where I'm downstairs working until 8.30, 9.30 and seeing clients fairly late. And that's just a decision that I made. I said, I'm, I'm okay with that. You know, I spend my day doing insurance phone calls or report writing or touching base with other professionals that have to do with a client I'm seeing. So if there's permission on both ends to speak to a teacher or a doctor or the orthodontist or whomever it might be, that's sort of my day. And then 2 p.m. on is my actual face-to-face -face therapy time. That sounds like a pretty good setup. I love it. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. And if I get to sleep in till 10 o'clock some days, yeah. eh, so be it. <laughs> that's fantastic. I love it. I love it. So where do you see yourself in the next like six months or a year or more? So I would love, I don't know if it would happen in the next six months or a year because we haven't touched on it yet, but I'm currently nine months pregnant. So Yay, I think six months to a year, thank you, <laughs> might be a little pushing it, but yeah. my my short-term objective, even though it seems pretty long-term, it was long-term years ago, I would love to have more of a brick-and-mortar type of setup. Because right now, uh, to give you a little background on where the practice is located, we, when we moved into our home, it'll be six years in July, it was never the intention to open up a practice, but we have two floors, and it just so happens that the second floor has its own entrance and the second floor meaning the bottom floor mm -hmm. so it has its own entrance it had a bathroom already built in it and a bedroom nice. so when my husband sort of sparked this idea of a private practice i went okay so we actually even have the setup we have a private entrance for me personally i did not want to cross lines between personal and professional i felt mm -hmm not as comfortable having clients in my actual home. I felt more comfortable having it be a separate space. So I said, we have an entrance, there's a bathroom, and it was a new bathroom too. Yes. 
And this bedroom is a great open space for a therapy room. And then we have what would be considered, I guess, like a family room, which would be great as a waiting area. Mm -hmm. So I said, so this is kind of the bones are here. So it was uh, my husband's media room and our movie room. We had movie posters and memorabilia everywhere. And it quickly became not that, yeah. <laughs> which is okay. Everyone there is absolutely the movie room okay with it. Slash man cave. Out the window. Gone. It's still, all of the movie memorabilia is sitting in a box for when it eventually Got goes it. back to that. Yeah. But it, what we ended up doing is in the waiting room, uh, we actually have a projector system set up because it's downstairs. There's no windows. So instead of a TV, it's this huge screen that's painted onto the wall. So I actually mm-hmm. use that in my waiting room and we usually do a split screen, you know, news, local news or something mm-hmm. with, I usually don't do cartoons too much. I'll do like a food network or something. Cause mm-hmm. I find that it sparks more conversation, mm-hmm. even in the little ones. Mm-hmm. I think the little ones are always kind of fascinated by what they're watching and then the adults love it too. So, um, so we've got that. And then we ended up taking that bedroom and turning it into a therapy room. And, we the old downstairs sort of had this little kitchenette so we kept part of it so we've got like the coffee water and that whole setup when people come in we spruced it up with paint i had a lot of old supplies just from working over the years so i really used most of my materials i didn't have to invest in too much mm-hmm. uh, like i said my husband's very techy so he was able to take a couple spare computers and throw together a new one for me to start with which was great <laughs> So the startup itself wasn't a ton of money for us, which I think is a little different than what most people might see. And now five years in, the practice is the the back half of our basement was previously unfinished. So we actually this summer finished off the back and made it into a second therapy room. So whereas before we had to make sure we weren't working at the same time, the independent contractors and myself, now we can all kind of come and go as we please and we have the two rooms to do it. So that's that's been awesome. Uh, (laughs) So as much as I love working out of my home and it's easy and my commute is 10 steps, Mm -hmm. which is great. I think that this kind of immediate goal that I have would be to open up a space And of course, that's a lot more financially liable and there's a lot more that goes into it. But that's that would be my next big goal and the constant goal of keep growing, try not to cap it, try and have enough clinicians here and enough time that I don't have to turn people away. That'll always be a goal. Uh, So that's kind of the short term and our long term, which I don't know, it's kind of like a secret mission, not a secret mission, but a plan that I've had since the very beginning was I would love down the line, and I'm talking way down the line, A, I would love to go back for a doctorate, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. B, I would love to open up some type of space that has speech, OT, PT, maybe even like an emotional health and wellness component, mm-hmm. sort of in one place, like a one-stop shop. Oh, I would love to do something like that, but that is many years down the line and hopefully a much more successful private practice that will lead into the funds to fund a big project like that. But the short term is to have a storefront if I can. I think that sounds fantastic. I mean, it sounds like that you are doing a lot of wonderful things with the space that you have, right? And as you're sort of trying to balance um, growth with space with Mm -hmm. amount of help. Yeah. 
and being nine months pregnant and about to have a baby, yes, <laughs> it's, it's a lot to, to figure out how to make that all work. But I love that you have a vision for the future and are going to, you know, take some time to, you know, do, do all kinds of wonderful mom things and then, you know, move into your next phase whenever you and your family are ready for that. Right. I think that's important. Even from the beginning, when you start a private practice, I think you have to have half this idea of whatever happens, happens, and it's going to be exciting. But I think if you're too loosey-goosey about it, it can get away with you. So yeah. I do think in the beginning, sort of saying, this is how much money I'd like to try and make gross income versus net versus this should be my profit margin. In the beginning, especially, mm -hmm. I think will keep you somewhat grounded. And that takes a lot of time and I am not good at math. I don't know about the other SLPs out there, but I am not a math person. Luckily, I have many people around me that are. So <laughs> uh, with a little bit of help and a little bit of feedback or a lot a bit of feedback, that was in the very beginning, like I had mentioned, we sort of set this six month goal and this 12 month goal. And if we met it, the private practice could continue. And if we didn't meet it, then it would be a, all right, you know what, pat on the back. We tried, maybe we'll try again in a couple of years. Mm -hmm. Luckily we did it and that's why we got to stick with it. But I think having those goals in mind in the beginning is crucial and then updating those goals as you move forward. I think that whole business plan aspect is really important and something that I did not realize before doing this. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I just had like kind of like an Oprah aha moment is that those are the best. <laughs> those are the best. So, so SLPs are obsessed with plans, like yeah. therapy plans, <laughs> treatment plans. And we're also obsessed with short-term and long-term goals. Mm -hmm. But when I talk to people about making a business, but like the idea of writing a business plan just like freaks people out. And yeah. I know because, you know, we're helping people, people, and we're therapy people, and we know how to do therapy plans, but we don't know how to do business plans. But nonetheless, it should be like in our nature to want to have a plan yeah. and to kind of stick to the plan and to think about the objectives short and long term. So I think I'm going to have to talk to people a little bit about differently who are nervous about those things and say, listen, you actually know how to do this. Like, yeah, you've done this. You just have to adapt it into a different way. And I know that that's scary and I know that that's different, but it's but worth it. It's worth it. And that the mm -hmm. foundation, it's the same thing. Absolutely. If you, oh. if you go in blind because you're excited and you can't wait to start, that's great to have, but that's 50% because like I said before, this is still a business. It's still your livelihood. You've got to be careful. Yeah. So I do think that, yeah, it is very intimidating, but it's completely worth it. I love it. I love it. So what are, are there any other tips or any other things that we haven't touched on that you think would be important to share? Um, I think that, well, let's see, you know what? I can talk about another aspect of what I've done because yeah. I also wrote a children's book <laughs> because we don't do enough <laughs> as SLPs. So you can see it right here because we're on video for no one. Yeah, <laughs> well, they I don't realize. I, so we're gonna we're gonna put a link to it in the show notes though because I want to make sure that awesome. everybody gets information about it. Awesome. So I would say, let's see, 2014, I believe. Uh, my uncle is actually an author, 
and I had had this idea of wanting to write a children's book for quite some time. And I knew that I wanted it to be based on hearing loss and something related to it. However, at the same time, there are phenomenal resources out there from the cochlear implant companies, the hearing aid companies, other authors about getting a hearing aid or going through the surgical process for a cochlear implant or whatever it might be, seeing your audiologist for the first time. And I have them all and I use them all in therapy. And I noticed, and I think this is a really big part of our field and our profession, is I tried to look for what was missing. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know what's missing? What happens after? Especially for the little ones. There's a lot of really good resources for that are more chapter books that would be for older school age kids, teenagers, and adults. But I said, for the little guys, I don't know if I see it out there because I've searched for a book like that. If I'd found it, I would have purchased it. It would have been in my own library. So I kind of got this idea and I spoke to my uncle and he was doing Kickstarter at the time and Kickstarter was relatively new when we did this. It was getting very popular and he did a Kickstarter for a comic book uh, based novel that he was writing. And I said, okay, you know what? Why not? You have nothing to lose. So if anyone's thinking about doing a Kickstarter, just do it. It's awesome. It's a lot of work. You're going to hound your friends and family, especially on social media. You will live on it for 30 to 45 days, whatever number you pick in your campaign. But for us, we did it because financially writing a book is a little expensive, especially if you self-publish, which is what I did. It could be several thousand dollars depending on how many books you want, how long it is, and all of these other sort of details. So we did the Kickstarter, and looking back at the Kickstarter, I giggle sometimes because it was such a rudimentary version of what we ended up with. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, our characters looked very, very different because they were just kind of computer shapes instead of illustrated characters, and the story was this idea of what happens after you have your devices, now what? And that sort of morphed into school. And mm -hmm. the reason I picked that is because a lot of the kids I had seen over the years told very similar stories mm -hmm. where they were in their classroom and they couldn't hear the teacher or they weren't sure if they heard the teacher correctly. And even these really vivacious, confident kids were not raising their hand. And then they were getting an answer wrong on an exam. Or they were doing their homework incorrectly because they did the wrong questions on page 32. So I said, you know what, this is happening. Or when they were in the cafeteria saying that they'd rather sit alone than sit with people because hearing the other kids is too hard and it makes lunch stressful. Or at recess, kind of chilling on their own instead of going out and playing kickball because they're afraid that they can't hear their teammates because they're too far away. So all of these different things that seem seem simple to correct in a way, but really it was hitting so many of the different clients I was seeing, all different personalities, ages, boys, girls, all different parts of New York. So I said, okay, this, this is like, I have to do this. <laughs> this is something that has to happen. So I did the Kickstarter and luckily we got funded, which means for anyone that doesn't know with Kickstarter, if you're not fully funded, you don't get anything. Mm -hmm. So luckily we were fully funded and I started writing. So I found a publisher and they set me up with a fantastic illustrator who is the sweetest person in the world. His name's Tim Williams, if anyone needs an illustrator. And we started writing the book and it took, I would say, 
six to nine months to really solidify what we wanted, making sure the text was correct. I wanted to make sure that the jargon was right because I was including things like teacher of the deaf and hard of hearing, speech language pathologist, um, audiologist, FM system, acoustic hoop. And I wanted to make sure that was correct. And even we had somebody sort of read a manuscript of the book. He was nine. He was my hardest critic out of everybody. And Good. he said, you know, Farah, there's some words in here that I've never heard before. You really should have a glossary. Okay. Point. So we put in a glossary. <laughs> so we sort of, you know, picked the brains of everyone we knew and made it what it is today. So what I ended up doing with the, the name of the book, by the way, is Harmony Hears a Hoot. So it's about an owl named Harmony and it's her first day of school. We in the book, I call it Devices. Um, because I wanted to be able to kind of have it equate to people that have cochlear implants or Bajas or hearing aids or whatever it might be. I didn't want to limit to one. So they're called listening devices in the book. And she sees an audiologist, she gets ready for school. And then the entire book, each page is a different lesson of something that could happen at school, like mm -hmm. advocating for oneself and raising your hand in the classroom, making sure that you're facing people in a loud and noisy cafeteria, um, being able to be confident enough to say, these are my hearing aids or these are my cochlear implants mm -hmm. and this is what they do and not being embarrassed to do that. Uh, in addition to simple things like making sure you have extra batteries with you or making sure they're in the nurse's office or wherever they might be. So, that's what ended up happening with the book. And now we're actually on our second print. So we added nice. a couple little things into it. And what I do with the book, this is sort of like my daytime when I'm not seeing clients, is I actually will do free visits to local schools. And it varies based on the school. Sometimes they'll have me come in because it's five senses month and they have me come in the week that they're doing hearing. Or I'll go in because a parent will contact and say, you know what, my child's the only one in her whole grade that has hearing aids and she doesn't know how to talk about it. Mm -hmm. So I'll do a, an assembly where all the third grade classes come down and we read the book together. And based on how old the children are, sometimes we'll make owl puppets. Sometimes we'll write about our favorite part. Um, sometimes we'll do like a, a bingo or a, a Jeopardy with the glossary and things like that. And I've even had teenagers where I've gone in and spoken more about what is it like to write a book. Yeah. So cool. those visits, because then the next question is, well, how is that making any kind of money? Uh, because at the end, you do have to sort of make sure you're getting something out of it as much as that hurts our hearts to say it is the truth. So what I end up doing is I go to the school and I don't charge for the visit, but I send a written template to the school beforehand. And it basically says what the book is about, who I am, and I sell the book for a discounted price and they send that home to the parents. So the parents can send back the permission slip, I guess you'd call it, the order form, mm -hmm. and they get to specify what they want written in the book. And I go to the school and I, I will stay there until every book is signed and I sign it exactly how the parents requested. I try and take pictures with the kids. So I actually really love it because it's teaching these students about a part of sort of a, a part of other kids' lives, yeah. this hearing loss piece that they don't know about. But the big thing I've seen that I didn't expect to see out of the book was a lot of kids who have other difficulties or disorders or diagnoses saying, Harmony was awesome how she raised her hand and she told everyone what she was wearing on her ears. And I've never been able to tell anyone um, why my voice sounds a little different because I had a cleft palate when I was born. 
And that's been the most rewarding part is people coming out of the woodworks with these stories. And I said, I didn't expect it to make a difference. I really did it like for the kids that I work with. And it's been phenomenal because it's made a difference in kids' lives. And we're now, I should have looked up the numbers. I think we just sold, well, we say that Harmony has flown to 38 states uh, and seven countries. So it's, it sort of catapulted into something I didn't know that it would. And it's exciting and it's fun to have it on the side. So the reason I mention it is even if you own a private practice, don't be afraid to sort of spread your wings a little bit and try other Mm -hmm. things that are profession associated, but not necessarily in your practice. Uh, The other big thing I do is I did research, like I mentioned when I was at Mm -hmm. UB and I try and keep that going. Um, my research is on social conversational skills of individuals with hearing loss. Mm -hmm. And I try as I move on to do different classes or different experiences that kind of help me add to that base of knowledge, not necessarily as a research project, but just for me to sort of experience what's missing, like I said before, and what we need as clinicians to fill in the blanks so that others can learn from it and I can learn from others. So um, I actually teach oral rehab classes for some local audiologists. And we talk about everything from speech reading, which is actually a very minimal part of the class, but most of it is communication skills and conversation Mm -hmm. and advocating and all of that. So that's a lot of fun to do alongside of an audiologist as well, because then you have that whole multidisciplinary approach, which as someone who didn't know at first, if I wanted to do audiology or speech, Mm -hmm. it's awesome to keep my feet wet with the audiologists who are insanely awesome. And I love working with. So um, those are the things that I try and do in addition to the practice would be these oral rehab classes and the book and everything that sort of comes along with it. And I, you're busy. I am busy, but not for much longer. (laughs) I know, not for much longer, but I think that that's really smart to think about, you know, different creative outlets, Mm -hmm. different, you know, different financial outlets too. Like it's also about, you know, just diversifying income, right? And thinking about, you know, an important book for me that I read a long time ago was, was called Multiple Streams of Income. Mm -hmm. And it really talks about different ways to um, have income coming in. And so whether it's your private practice, whether it's adding, um, you know, insurance, mm-hmm. having independent contractors, uh, writing a book, teaching classes. I mean, you're really diversifying your offerings and also just staying creative and, yeah. and following different paths that you just don't know where any of this stuff is going to lead. But you're yeah. like you're saying calculated yeses to a lot of different things. And I think that that's fantastic. It's important. And I think also, especially with how bad burnout has gotten in the field, I think that for me personally, having these different outlets, aside from being my own boss, which definitely helps, but I think that it's helped to kind of slow down that burn a bit because I was feeling it five years in. I said, I shouldn't be feeling it five years in, but nine out of 10 SLPs will probably say they also felt it five or less years in. So it's definitely helped me stay on my toes and 
just be excited about what I'm doing. If I have a really hard day on insurance phone calls, but then I get to walk downstairs and see five to six clients. And at the end of the day, I get three book orders and I get to read the stories of where they're going and who's going to be reading them. The day is absolutely well balanced, despite what might've happened in the morning. <laughs> so I think that's important too. It kind of keeps the, there will be negatives, there will be hardships, there will be hurdles to jump. But then you've got these other pieces where you say, yeah, but this is why I do what I do. This is why I love what I'm doing and why I take the risk of owning my own business because it does come with risks, but it, the pleasures of it and the insane amount that I've learned from the people that I work with, from colleagues, from all of these other things that I do balance out those risks tenfold. Yeah. So and, and make it totally worth it. Oh, completely a hundred percent. But yeah, <laughs> um, it's by far the best thing I, I've ever done. So I'm grateful for the support that I had in the beginning, even though some people thought I was nuts um, and grateful for the other colleagues that we have because I've learned so much. And then for things like what you do, where I'm constantly reading what you post and seeing what other people are kind of bringing to the table and mm -hmm. things that you suggest and it's interesting because I'll go back and read things that you've posted that maybe I read a while ago and mm -hmm. I'll go back and reread it or I'll go back and kind of think about it differently now that I'm a couple years farther into a practice and go, huh, I totally missed that the first time around because I wasn't in the right mindset yet. And for that, for when I first read it, it was great, but now it's great for other reasons. So I think that that's important too. Don't be afraid to kind of go back to your roots and mm -hmm. re-explore what you've done or what you've read or who you've met because people have some pretty cool things to offer to help you make your business the best it can be as cheesy as that sounds it's it's the truth be open be open to talking to people because it yeah. helps a lot well and I want to thank you for being so open and talking to to us in this interview because you've really shared a lot of your story I feel like I now know a lot about your your journey where you came from where you are now where you're going and obviously you have all of these different outlets that you're pursuing um motherhood being the most imminent one which i'm, I'm just so excited for you um so thank you farah thank you thank you for meeting with us and sharing your journey and please keep in touch uh we can't wait to see to hear about your baby. You'll get you'll get pictures. <laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait. And welcome to the boy mom uh, club too. Yes. <laughs> I've heard it. It could be a little bit rambunctious, but I'm excited for it. I've got a good pair of running shoes, and we're in the process of nailing down all our furniture. <laughs> I, those are very important things. Fantastic. Well, I hope you have a wonderful night, and please again keep in touch and um, and best of luck with everything. Thank you. And thank you for having me because as much as I like doing this interview, I've enjoyed listening to, you'll probably have a few more posted by the time people listen to this one. And I yeah. really enjoy the emails where it says, click here to listen. And uh, I actually listened to it a couple of times where I've been sitting on the monitor at the OB's office. It's been a nice thing to, to listen to. So I appreciate it. And thanks to the other SLPs for sharing their story because they're pretty awesome themselves. So I enjoy it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Private Practice Success Stories. I hope that you were impressed, inspired, and are ready to take action. Speaking of which, do you need help starting your private practice or taking it to the next level? Then join the Private Practice Solution. 
Inside of our exclusive members area, you'll discover fabulous time-saving resources that will help you be the successful private practitioner you've always wanted to be. There's also a vibrant community of smart clinicians working together to help more people while making more money. If you're looking for step-by-step -step resources, member discounts, and a supportive community of like-minded people, consider this your invitation to join us. So go ahead and sign up now at www.theprivatepracticesolution.com. See you in the members area. Well, this episode might be over, but we don't have to say goodbye. Head on over to independentclinician.com for resources that will help you at each stage of your private practice journey. If you're on Instagram, let's connect. Follow me and send me a DM. I'm at independent clinician. And if you're on Facebook, make sure that you join the SLP and OT Private Practice Beginners Facebook group. All right, off to help more regular SLPs and OTs become successful private practitioners. Let me know if I can help you too.